Hello, I'm Kristen Perisonotto. And I'm Hannah Ferguson, and we're co-founders of Cheek Media Co. This is the Weekly Cheek Podcast. One of the big reasons why people are not voting with climate action in mind is because they don't know what their life is going to look like if they vote into power a government that is going to be cracking down on climate action. And when I'm talking about climate action, I'm talking about implementing renewable energy sources. Welcome back to the Weekly Cheek Podcast. Today we're talking about climate change and what it means for rural Australians. So I grew up in a regional town. Same. And I was born in a different regional town. They were both mining towns, which I think is specifically applicable for what we're going to be talking about, just so that, you know, we're qualified, okay? I'm not. (laughs) So... There is a bit of a divide at the moment, and I have only in the last few years actually become aware of this divide because, you know, we're kind of, you know, we're always in an echo chamber of, like, progressive people, I find. And when we come to, you know, something like the 2019 election, when the Libs didn't have any type of climate action policies and people still voted them in, my initial reaction was like, what? is going on and how do people still deny climate change and this is terrible and these people don't know what they're talking about and why aren't they even doing research and just like made me very angry and um, disappointed. (laughs) It was snowing in orange this week and there was maybe one million tweets like, see, climate change. (laughs) (laughs) What? How is this climate change? It's not like it. Why are they, the globe's not getting warm? It's really it was cold this morning. I had to put an extra jumper on. Five feet of snow. That's the most I've had in decades. So, obviously, climate change means more extreme weather. So, I just yes. want to point that out point briefly. Out, please. But that is not what we're going to be talking about. One of the big reasons why people are not voting in favour with climate action in mind in rural places, and I'm going to be speaking specifically about Queensland because that's what I know, but I'm sure this could be applied, you know, everywhere all over Australia, probably over the entire, like, developed world, um, is because they don't know what their life is going to look like if they vote into power a government that is going to be cracking down on climate action. And when I'm talking about climate action, I'm talking about implementing renewable energy sources and trying to... I guess that's the main one, actually, implementing renewable energy sources because rural places are the places where coal mines are and where their whole community revolves around a mine or a power station. So in terms of what they can see and what's tangible, Mm -hmm. it's that the um, benefits in their immediate lives come from whether the mine is doing well or not. Exactly, exactly. And so we've had, you know, multiple mining booms, which... Um, When I hear that word, I'm just like, I'm going to sleep because I'm so bored. But what it actually means is like people can go and work at the mines and get paid a lot of money. Yes. And the mining towns are very rich and their local economy is really strong. It's booming, which means it's a really nice place for people to live. Exactly. Exactly. And again, it's one of those things where if you've lived in one of those areas, it's like when the mine was going, Mm. everything was good. Yes. You think about your home life differently. You think about your school life differently. Mm -hmm. You think about what you did on weekends completely differently. Exactly. Exactly. And we actually have a um, a mutual friend, I suppose, um, who said that, you know, back in the day in Mackay, they talked about the 
mining boom like the good old days like oh imagine those days he's probably listening shout out yeah and he was like a mutual friend both of them barely had (laughs) on well i don't want to say my friend he's your (laughs) friend thank you anyway um and it was the same like my family moved to a mining town because of the mine well kind of that was one of the reasons because my dad works in mines and it shut down shortly after. And after that, I have seen the local economy just get worse and worse and worse. Every time I go back there, there's like more shops are closed. Um, I would say that the population is likely shrinking or is aging because young people are not finding as many opportunities there. So they're moving away. How do you feel as a progressive individual with a parent that worked in mining? Um, He's probably listening. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Um, I don't really see the thing is, I think it's really important to remember that it's not about individuals. Um, also my dad does not own any mines. He does not work for Adani or BHP or anything like that. He owns a medium sized business. Um, so I don't, and they put, they perform services that, are often carried out on mines. Yeah, okay, but it's not always. His line of work could be carried out in a mine or or elsewhere. Yeah. So it's a bit, I don't really think about it, and this might just be cognitive dissonance, but I don't actually think that, you know, there's any positive from looking to people related to or not who work in mines and be like, you're ruining the climate. Like it's a bit, you know, everyone's just doing a job. Yeah, I think it is unfair to blame individuals for, you know, their contribution, which is the fact that their life prospers when they have this role. Yeah. And it's really hard when it's like, well, we look at the people like Gina Reinhart, mm-hmm. Andrew Forrest, yep. Clive Palmer, these people that exactly. are billionaires. Exactly. If I was related to someone who was opening mines, that's quite different. Mm. But yeah, my dad works in the mines that are already kicking yeah. and like his work would look very different as we transitioned to or as we hopefully as we transition to renewable energy sources um but i think that it is important to think about okay so you live in we'll use Wheeler because it's been so in the media obviously because the um refugee family who are currently in perth used to live there, but also it was the location where the power station Calide blew up at the Calide power station, which um, were was the cause of all of the blackouts through Queensland a couple of weeks ago. So big news there. Um, and if you're living in Biloela, quite possibly, let's just go stereotypical here. I'm a woman living in Biloela. I have two kids. My husband works in the mines. I don't have to work because he brings home a very good salary. So I've decided to stay home and, you know, work in the home. The mine, we, if I get news that the mine is closing, or even if I come up to an election where one of the major parties, the conservative party, the liberal national coalition is going to be is pro mine and we've got a prime minister who's you know bringing coal into parliament which i don't want to talk about because it makes me angry and then we've got a labor government or you know independence greens who are pushing for 100 percent renewable energy sources by the year 2020 so immediately i'm thinking about what my life is going to look like if the Calide mine is closed down or is abandoned in um in exchange for some type of renewable energy source. So my husband loses his job. 
I have to maybe get a job, which at that time, maybe I've been out of the workforce for 30 years and I don't have um, many job prospects. That town, the local economy goes to shit. It's going to be hard to find a job at all. What happens if people start moving out and the school shuts down? My kids don't have anywhere to go to school. What are my options? I can either try and make it work. Um, Maybe we try and sell our house. Who the fuck wants to buy it? Because everyone's abandoned it. You know, why... Why live there? Housing prices, massive dip. Exactly. What is bringing people to a mining town like Billawheel if there's no mine? Because that's the reason that they live there for the most part. That's the reason the other businesses rely on the operation of the mine, even if they've got nothing to do with the mine. So the options are to move out, basically, or, you know, stay there and try to make it work with a crumbling local economy, probably only be able to get part-time work. Maybe my husband can't get work anymore. Maybe he has to start doing FIFO and is away from the family, you know, one third to two thirds of the year. You know, my life looks very different. So I think that when we are thinking about the people who don't vote in the interest of climate change, in a lot of cases, these are the people who aren't because they feel as though they're going to be abandoned by you know a progressive government who doesn't understand because the and I hate talking about this because it's such a um, a stereotype but the way that it, the other thing to make sure that is important that I want to note is that the conservatives bank on these people and of, oftentimes they are contributing to the fear that these people have because they know that that fear is going to end up in a vote for them. That's it, and it's awful, but it's understandable because. The thing, the thing for me is like obviously I can stand here all day and say, oh, climate action, climate action. Who would vote against climate action? Blah blah blah. blah. It's our future. It's our children. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I live in inner city Brisbane. That's what I was my job say. is secure. Yep. I don't have children. I don't have any dependents. Mm-hmm. I don't have. I don't really don't have any responsibility. Exactly. And my livelihood and my immediate future and happiness does not depend on these things. Exactly. So obviously I can kick and scream and protest. But I, I, I can empathize with the position, mm-hmm. but what I don't like is the fear mongering. Exactly. And that's a totally different issue mm. that is, um, you know, the gov- that those governments and parties have something to answer for because that is really unethical in my view. Um, and the other thing is what you've just said, like that you don't have children, neither do I, um, is that a lot of people say, why are you voting in favor of the climate? Don't you care about your children and your mm. children's children? Well, for them, they're like, okay, the mind shuts. Yeah. What, what does my child have? Mm. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? I'm going to uproot them from their life or we're going to be struggling financially for the foreseeable future because we don't know where to go and we don't know how to get another job. And I guess this is where, and I've only been introduced to this phrase in the last few weeks by you, mm-hmm. which is a just transition. Wow. So I, and, and I've heard it from you because you said, you know, what's a massive topic at the moment is a just transition, which I had not even considered before because I hadn't really considered this topic because I was like, who would vote against climate action? It's our children. Mm-hmm. But now, uh, like, obviously, especially living in Queensland, which is an incredibly wealthy state. Yeah. Um, but living in Queensland where there's a lot of remote communities, mm-hmm. it's especially notable. Yeah. So please explain please what explain. a just transition is. <laughs> a just transition refers to a, I'm, no, you're not supposed to use the words to define the word, but a just transition to renewable energy. We're transitioning to renewable energy sources, which of course does mean, I guess, as slowly or as quickly as what is appropriate, closing down coal mines or not building new coal mines and other, you know, gas sources instead putting resources into things like solar farms, wind farms, hydrogen, renewable energy sources. So that's the transition. 
when you're talking about the just transition means that it is just and fair for everybody involved for the entire community which in this case obviously is really relating to those communities that are coal communities or mine communities. For example, the people who work there, the miners, um, everyone who works, because there are lots and lots and lots of people who work on um, either power stations or mines and making sure that their the workers, their families, their communities are looked after as we transition into a renewable future. So this might look like there are a few examples. And if you go back and listen to our episode with Michael Berkman, he did talk briefly a little bit about this um, from the Greens perspective, which I thought was interesting because my, my examples are theoretical and they are influenced by things that people have done overseas, yeah. which is not necessarily going to be applicable for Australia. So you might take, um, let's just say there are 10 people who work in a mine, which is, there's not, but there's <laughs> 10 people who work in a mine. Let's say three of them are in their 50s they might want to retire early so you would offer them a government funded package to get them to the point where they can access their super so they can retire early and they don't have to be starting a new career in their 50s which a lot of people don't want to do then there might be another portion who are really interested they still really enjoy their profession they like working on power stations let's say they're electricians they're going to be redeployed into like a solar farm or a wind farm or a hydrogen farm just they can stay in their profession, but they can just be basically work at a different spot. And, you know, this, the, the transition, just transition package might include them being relocated and perhaps they are assisted with costs and things like that to make sure that their family can get resettled in a new place. And it's all kind of taken care of from, and this is important. This is the government. A just transition is reliant on the government offering these services yep. and funding this. And let's say um, another couple of people that's like, you know what? I would really like to work in tourism, actually. So the government would offer retraining yeah. options for them so they can go to, um, you know, TAFE university or whatever, some type of training something um, course, and that's paid for. And while they are studying full time, they are also it's paid good. some type yeah. of yes, stipend or whatever it is. So then all 10 of those workers at that mine have justly transitioned into their next phase of their life or their career, whatever it is. And then I don't, I honestly don't know. I can't really think of any examples of what it would look like for a family or a community more widely, because to be honest, I don't know what's going to happen in places like Biloela if the mine is shut. So I don't really have any answers, like, which I've just realized. I guess, yeah, that's my question is like, do you think the transition will be just like, do you think that it can ever be truly just when it's government funded and it's affecting so many people? I don't know, but I think that they could try because at the moment I don't believe they're trying. So have they got a proposal for a just transition at the moment in Queensland? I don't believe there are any actual solid real plans for one. Right. And, but that's what they're pushing for. What that's what outside groups are pushing for is, yes. a, is a plan because yes. obviously there's also a lot of confusion. I mean, with the Queensland budget was released this week, mm -hmm. and uh, you know two billion dollars be put into renewables, but that's not really a total of two billion dollars. It's one billion dollars, mm. and there's all this ugh, messy, yeah. messy, yeah. messy, messy politics. But it's like, is that does that include finances for a just transition? I don't believe it has been specified. Yeah, which is really tough. Because the other thing is, let's use a solar farm for mm. an example. Um, first of all, there's a real problem with solar farms. Their working conditions, 
terrible. Really? Really, really bad. So if you Google it, there was a um, one of the unions in New South Wales uncovered these videos of a solar farm and pictures, and the crane was dangling a huge shipping container very close to where people were walking around, like above them. So not good. At the same place, there were photos uncovered of um, like rats in their facilities. So not very clean facilities, unhygienic um, reports that there were no clean toilets and that it was very difficult to access fresh drinking water. So these are very basic things. It's, it's not a place where it's, it's not a work environment that should exist in Australia in 2021. Yes. Um, the other thing is that it's very unregulated and there are a lot of um, unskilled workers, backpackers who are laying cables at solar farms because it's not classed as a job that an electrician should be doing. So it's just anyone can do it. So obviously these solar farms are paying backpackers, you know, under minimum wage, cash in hand most likely to do uns this work as unskilled work when it should really, according to a lot of professionals, be skilled work carried out by licensed carrying professionals. The other thing is, and this is all to like, this is, that's referring to building a solar farm. So there's lots of ethical issues with how they are built for the most part in Australia. And the next thing is when the solar farm is up and running, a lot of it is automated and can be operated online, which some of them are operated in the Philippines or overseas. So that means no jobs for, for here. And, um, you know, there are some solar farms where, apart from a few people who are maintenance people who walk around and are like, yep, all good here, mm. that's it. So, you know, there's, there's no jobs there. And I would say the same with a wind farm. Every picture I've seen of a wind farm, I haven't seen very many people. <laughs> so that's proof. So it's like, how do we, you know, where are the jobs? Is another it's question. a lot of retraining by the sounds of things. It's primarily retraining. It would have to be. Yeah. Which is really tough for people that have been, have worked their whole life. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if you're at the beginning of your career or not. Like you've spent years, money, time, energy training mm -hmm. in a specific field. I mean, God, it's awful. It is. And I guess you could, cause there, like, there's a plenty of times that this has happened before. Like I was speaking to someone just last night about, um, a man who is now a painter, but he used to work in the printing presses, like printing newspapers. Mm. And I was like, does that industry exist anymore? Like imagine how many printing printers yeah. we used to have compared to now, compared to now, because I don't, I believe that the process is completely different to a printer as we see it now, like screen printing shirts, yeah. printing business cards. It's a totally different system. Yeah. Like where do all those people go? Where are they? They must have new jobs. Well, I mean, then we're getting into a debate about, you know, what jobs AI can take over, you know, like yeah. what jobs, what jobs will be left? Mm -hmm. What can't AI do empathy? What? So we literally are wiping out everyone except particular health and care professionals like yeah. but then there'd be so many people who'd prefer to go to a health and care mm. um robot me no i'm kidding <laughs> I, I probably would actually that's interesting because i don't really need the bedside manner for a lot of i mean it would depend on the issue obviously but sometimes i just want to be like just give me my whatever i need we just answer the question yeah exactly interesting so i just think that that is something really I guess the point, because I know that we have a, like a progressive audience, um, and I think the point that I really want to make is that it's not really as simple as we might think. And it's a good perspective to have because I think that the, like, I I mean, before you brought it up to me, I'd never really considered it that much before. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, like, I mean, I grew up in a regional town where mining was a thing, but it didn't, 
the town had other industry that was booming. And I don't think that that, like, it would have affected a portion, but it wouldn't have, like, wiped out the purpose for living there altogether. Because mm. it was more regional than rural, if that makes sense as well. You know when it's, like, close to the city centre? Yes, yeah. In terms of a couple of hours away. Like, there's purposes to live there other than mining, but it was definitely, the economy was definitely heavily impacted by mining. Um, but I don't know that much about it. And I think that it's hard because, you know, especially people who live in metropolitan areas who are the people who are most progressive, it's difficult to see outside that scope a lot of the time. But it's important to consider it because I think that it's not really helpful to be just blatantly divisive mm-hmm. and like, well, that's just how could you not support climate action? In some cases, it's because these people don't really acknowledge the existence of climate action. Yeah. But in other cases, it's like it's literally their immediate foreseeable livelihood Mm -hmm. and life satisfaction. Exactly. So I get it. Yeah. And to be honest, because I have a real problem with people who vote against their interests Mm. um, because I think that that's so avoidable. But in terms of these people who are thinking, like they are voting in their interests as far as they know. Like I think there is a lot of, um, you know, questionable behaviours from the Liberal National Government that, like we said earlier, fear-mongering and really capitalising on that, you know, lack of knowledge um, or even like manipulating the truth, but they are like, to be honest, they're doing the thing that they think is the best for, for them, for their family, for their kids, whether or not it is the best. It's like, I guess a different question. The other thing is, um, and again, like I'd really hate to do this whole, like, you know, in a city, woke lefties thing but I, I think it's important though because yes it's something to consider but it's we need to be like well who we are is this exactly but- the other thing is it's really important to think that like this is what lots of people think like yeah. you know and again this is something that the liberals really capitalize on because at every minute they're just like oh you woke innocent lefties to be your lattes what would you even know but people believe that for a reason because they think that it's accurate anyway is that most of us don't want to live in those places. Yeah. Like, I don't want to move to Biloela. Uh, sure it's some, a very nice place, I, but not for me. And I enjoyed the time I did spend in a regional town, but having grown up there, I wouldn't move back. Yeah. No, I would never. And I would never move to a place that was of a similar size. No. Because I, it wasn't for me. But it doesn't offer what my profession, what my aspirations in, in terms of career. Yeah. But that's kind of part of it, isn't it? Exactly. I live here because that's where the jobs are for what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. It's the exact same thing. Yeah, because if you wanted to get into mining, you would have to live there. Um, And, yeah, so I think that's – and that's another reason why – this is like kind of going on a bit of a tangent, but it does kind of illustrate like the the conservative governments like – you know, want to hold on to these these voters because – so – Scott Morrison actually wrote an article about this for the site and I'll link it and I'll also link the um, an explainer about just transition. But Scott Morrison, um, he has this like long-term tax breaks plan and the people who are most going to benefit from it are earning between $180,000 and $200,000 that, in that bracket. That They are the biggest um, benefactors of this these tax breaks. Um, and this was announced back in the budget and it's like a slow thing that's basically like going all the way to 2023. Anyway... First of all, only a few percent of the population, like I can't remember what it was, but it was between one and three percent of the population actually earn above $180,000. So it's a very, very, very small percentage of the population who would even benefit from these tax breaks. And the other thing was he got up there and he said in front of the, you know, the media, he said, you know, these are the people who are working really hard out in the mines in regional and remote areas where no one else wants to go. 
and they are the hardest workers. That's what he kept saying. And in my article, I basically asked the question, does the highest, are the highest paid people the hardest workers? Mm. And I think like emphatically no, but I think that something that he touched on, well, first of all, he's talking to his voter base because they are for the most part, the people who are out there working in the mines where no one else wants to go. But that money, part of that money, like they are, and I'm not saying that they don't deserve to be highly paid. Part of that money is because they're going, they're going to places that no one else fucking wants to go. Yeah. Again, I'll say it again. I don't want to go to Biloela. Huh. I wouldn't take a big, I wouldn't take a, you know, pay increase to go there, but people would. And, you know, if you're going to, then you should get paid for the inconvenience. I, yeah, I mean, to me, it's hard because I think that a portion of those places just wants to live there because either they've always lived there and they love it there, or they love the ta- the charm of a small town. Yes, but but some but they they often need job. They have skill shortages, so they need to bring people from cities. Part of the reason that we moved to Orange was because um, one, my I had I was. I grew up there as a small child, mm-hmm. um, but we went back there because at the time there was also an incentive from the government where they paid, I think it was between seven and $8,000 for relocation. Really? Yeah. To specific, did they have like specific a Specific towns, or? yep. Because of a skill shortage? It was a, a city to country rural relocation program. Crazy. Yeah. They wanted people to leave Sydney. I can't remember what it was called, but it was in the late, the early 2010s. Do you know if they wanted people to leave Sydney or they wanted people to be in these places? People to leave Sydney. That's so interesting. They wanted people to leave Sydney and relocate to regional areas in central New South Wales, especially. How weird. Do you know why? I mean, think about like the housing prices, mm-hmm. the population density in Sydney. Yep. Versus the economies in these regional areas. Yeah. Continue. Very interesting indeed. But yeah, I just think that it is important. I think that the, you know, if you are um, a progressive, like a, someone who votes left, then I think that it is in your interest to understand why people don't vote the way that you do. Yeah. Because, you know, if if you are progressive, then you want to see a progressive government in power. And the conversation being, why won't you vote for climate action? is not going to get the answer you want. Exactly. It's, it's just not. And I think that, I mean... What we see in the United States, taking it a bit further, what we see in the United States is a division and hatred like no other, and it's 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 I think irreparable. Mm. I think it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. What I see in this country is not the same polarization, but mm-hmm. growing. Yeah, and I think it's important to because the thing is, is that that is. Uh, a perspective that I can absolutely get behind. Mm. You know what I mean? That is absolutely something. It's not going to change my vote, but I can understand someone coming from that perspective. What I can't understand is a lot of other reasons people vote liberal. Yeah. But for those reasons, I understand. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. That's one of the keys to having the conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And I think because, you know, things like, um, you know, people who say that they, for example, don't support the Liberals' opinion on refugees, but they vote for them for the economy. Mm. To me, I just think like, Ugh, yes, how dare you? <laughs> that's hard because what we're what we're asking, like, and I think in both situations, what we as young women who are extremely progressive, who are living in you know a very, I we're in a good position mm-hmm. economically, mm-hmm. Um, like we're doing well for ourselves. Yeah, it's really hard for me to ask someone to step like way outside their own experience mm-hmm. and vote accordingly. But like, of course, I'm going to prioritize the needs of other like minority groups over myself when I vote. Like, I don't vote for what I need; I vote for what others need. Exactly. But I understand why it's not so easy for someone who has children and 
Yeah, because they are voting. They they believe, like I said before, they believe they are voting for what their children need and what their community needs. Like imagine being in a community that's like, you know, if if you are of the belief that Labor is going to shut down the coal mines tomorrow, which, by the way, they have no intention of shutting any coal mines at this time. Um, In fact, the Premier made a big speech in Parliament the other day. Yes. She did make a, a... a speech saying that, you know, Queensland is very strong in terms of coal and gas. So at the moment, any rhetoric that you are hearing from the other perspective, I believe is manufactured. But I can see why someone would like, like I said before, you know, if you are, we, we can, we have the privilege to vote for things that are like going to be dealt with by people who are in less privileged positions than us. But that's because we're like cruising. Like, to be honest, my life um, I guess aside from being a woman, my life doesn't change that much no, no matter who's in government. But I think that in terms of my day-to-day, which is very fortunate, but which means that I vote for the interest of other people. But if you are not in that position, then it is much more difficult to vote in the interest of people who are you know, marginalised or suffering every day because you believe that if that government gets in, you will be suffering every day. What a happy note. <laughs> I think the key takeaway is not necessarily to say, well, maybe we should consider the Liberals. No, that's not it. Actually, I totally oppose the way that they run campaigns. Same. Um, the way they advertise and the fact that, you know, it says a lot to me that the way that they communicate their campaigns is through fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have to do that to get your votes, concerning, red flag. <laughs> um, I think the thing is, is that this is just kind of, you know, we bash and bash in this podcast, like, how much we disagree with the right Mm -hmm. we still do yeah but i think it's really nice and considerate and not nice nice isn't the word but i think it's really important to Mm. occasionally have this sort of a chat where it's like wow i haven't even considered this before you brought it up yes and like it is so like everything you were saying i was like oh my god like i know these people that you're talking about that's Mm. the thing we all know these people we just haven't considered what goes on inside the four walls and the finances and the burden and the hardship. And we don't really go outside our own experience that much. We do in terms of, you know, like, obviously we've all been very um, present in terms of the Billowilla family and having them move from detention and wanting them to move to Perth. Like those sort of causes are pushed and pushed and pushed until it happens. Yes. But we've like, and that's not really the comparison I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to say is like, we deal with immediately what's in front of us, but mm-hmm. we don't necessarily just sit back. I'm not sitting back on a Tuesday night like, What's going to happen if they shut the mines? Like, yeah. I don't think about those things. I'm just like, well, the climate change is going to kill, like, you know, and obviously that's a really, that's to me still the most important consideration mm-hmm. is the earth. Yeah. But I understand and I hadn't considered to that extent mm-hmm. what you've said before. And now I have, and it's really interesting. And I think that the, again, like I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. Climate change, I think is the most pressing issue that we're facing oh. um, ever. But I think that it is important to understand the perspective of the people who are hesitant. And I think from from what I have heard from people who speak to the people who work in those mines um, and, you know, power stations is that they know that it's going to happen, but they are not ready for it to happen now. Yeah. And you know, perhaps they're trying to just get to the end of their career so they can kind of be done with it and move elsewhere and, you know, never have to worry about that again. But I think that it is really important to understand why people are hesitant. If you found us just totally relatable and quirky, come back next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, head to cheekmedia.com.au to tidy over until then. Bye. 
Bye. <laughs>